Well, good morning. I love singing Christ has come, singing about the names of Christ. Doesn't that just strike awe into your heart? Thinking about who Christ is, the names that are given. We put a lot of stock in names, don't we? I mean, I know parents in here have put a lot of thought into what they've named their child. It's not something we do flippantly. We don't just take a bunch of letters out of a box and, ah, that's my son's name. Um, and we announce it, right? The, the, the tradition is big announcements on Facebook or cards. And in fact, it's, it's not really a baby until it's on Facebook, right? So that some, some of you understand that. But we spend days and months to choose the right name. I can remember with Mark thinking, okay, we, we have to not mess him up for the rest of his life. There's a lot of pressure there. Now, now I know that we're messing him up in a whole other ways. And the name didn't really matter. But we, we thought through, okay, what is the meaning of the name? And, and for Mark, we, we wanted the name to represent some of our hopes for him, some of our desires for him. And sometimes with names, with Jeffrey and Alicia, we brought in um, names of meaningful people in Scripture that we wanted them to model after. And, and so Mark Frederick is, is his name, and Mark means servant, and Frederick means leader. And we, we were thinking of servant leader and seeing some of the, wanting to see some of those skills in him. For Jeffrey and Alicia, we, we kept their birth names, but then we, we used their middle names to, to speak into their lives. And so Jeffrey is Jeffrey Titus, because Titus was a faithful steward of God's word, a faithful helper to Paul. And our desire for him is to be a faithful follower of God. And, and Alicia, her middle name is Ruth. And we, we love the story of Ruth and a loyal, um, <laughs> a loyal, um, daughter-in-law that came alongside and stuck with Naomi and followed God and became part of the line of David and ultimately part of the line of the Messiah. What a significant role. And so we wanted her to be able to pattern her life and see Ruth in her life. But names mean something. And, and in the Bible, that, that was especially true, much more than today. When you named someone, that, that was something that was to designate part of their life. Or, or you would look at them, or, or names just were, were full of meaning. You know, if we did that today, it would be a little weird. If you waited till your child was born, and then you named them based on what they look like. So you'd have Blob. <laughs> Sorry, the babies are... Yeah, it, you know, how do you do that? But they had an uncanny way of doing that. Today, as we come and wrap up our names of Christ and our, our whole series, we come to names that were given to Jesus 700 years before he was born. Names that God the Father, through his spirit, inspired the prophet Isaiah to write and say, this is what my son is going to be. This is who he's going to be. This is what he's going to be about. And so it is exciting today to conclude our study of the names of God by coming back to the names of Jesus at his birth, out of Isaiah. You know, we, we, we think Christmas is about Santa Claus, or culture does. And we have all kinds of names for Santa Claus, interestingly enough. Ju- just like there. My, my favorite one, I think, is in Finland, where Santa Claus is called the Yule Goat. I like that one. I think I'm going to start using that. But culture has tried to make Christmas about something so much more or so much less than what it is, so much different than what it is. And so today we want to come back to the names of Jesus and use that as an anchor for our holiday, an anchor for our celebration. 
in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and we're going to be spending most of our time there today. Isaiah 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a black one in the seat right under, right in front of you on the rack. You're welcome to take that out and follow along. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take that home as our gift to you. We want you to have God's Word, the most precious thing you'll ever receive. But turn to Isaiah 9, verse 6. And we hear a familiar verse that we've already heard in worship today in some of the songs. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so we get to this beautiful verse. And how many of you have heard that before at Christmas time? Almost everyone, right? And so it's helpful to now come back and say, okay, why is that there? What's the context? What is God saying about Jesus that can change our Christmas today and can be our anchor point for for our holiday and our celebration of his birth? And so look up, just just look up a few verses and we'll give a little bit of background. And I think that's helpful to understand. In verse two, we read, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness have. On them the light has shined. And we we see the context here. Isaiah is writing to a people that are about to be taken into captivity, who have walked away from God, and and he's writing to a people that are living in darkness. Now, we we, hard to not make Star Wars references here with the light and the dark side, but light and dark is often used in Scripture to refer to light being those followers of God or righteousness of God, and darkness meaning the helplessness of sin, the hopelessness of sin, the despair. And we see that here. When darkness is used, it's about the oppression of sin. For them, also the oppression of being taken captive. Isaiah is here writing and he says the northern tribes are going to feel the oppression first. It's really interesting that he's prophesying before it happens because in Israel they're at one end of the Fertile Crescent and all of the invaders, they didn't really like the the ugly desert, so they'd come through the Fertile Crescent, Crescent and they'd almost always invade Israel from the top. And so he's talking here, very historically, he's talking to those tribes at the top, Zebulun and Naphtali, and he says... You're you're in darkness. You're going to be experiencing darkness. But this is also a message for us. And this is setting up the need for us to understand these beautiful names of Jesus. We are born into darkness. Every one of us sitting in this room was born as sinful, rebellious creatures to God. And you're like, well, that's a great Christmas message. But it gets better. You have to understand the darkness to understand how great the light is. And we are born in sinful rebellion to God, every one of us. And that rebellion to an infinite God requires an infinite response. It requires destruction. It requires death. God would not be just if he didn't deal with our sin. And that should make us shiver a little bit, shake a little bit. And so here, when the the prophet Isaiah is talking, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is a passage of hope. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. And for us today, we read this, and we know from the New Testament that this was prophecy of the Messiah, of King Jesus. We know that there's hope for darkness. So yes, every one of us is born in darkness, but every one of us has the hope of a Savior if we will follow Him. Verses 3 through 5 go on. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced with you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. 
For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian, referring to Gideon. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood and will be burned as fuel for the fire. And in poetic form here, Isaiah is saying, you'll be delivered. There's joy in victory. Your oppressors are going to be wiped out. You are going to be joyful. There's going to be a Savior. And so as he's talking the triumph of victory, he's setting up verse 6. He's setting up this familiar passage that we just recite and quote at Christmas and we forget what it means. And the setup is this. You're in darkness. You need a Savior, but God wins. And so you're expecting the next verse to be about what? The mighty conqueror, right? How does God do this? Who does He do it through? And that's where verse 6 comes in. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And I can imagine being the first ones to hear that. I'd be like, what? Wait, no, no, no. Warrior king. Warrior king. Army. And you're, you're telling me that a child is the answer? And you see in those two phrases, a child is born. Jesus' is huma- humanity. From the very start, he was fully human came and lived the full extent of the human life, the full experience. But then in that second phrase, to us a son is given. And it reminds us that this isn't our doing. That Jesus is God. He's given by God. And this is God's work. This was not just a coincidence. God is doing the work. He's doing the rescuing. Christmas isn't about us. It isn't about our happiness. It isn't about our joy. It's about God's work, what He did and what He is doing. Amen? That's why we are here celebrating today. John 3.16, we see the same principle. For God so loved the world that He gave. And so God sees us and He sees the darkness. He sees the despair and says, I will handle this. And he's the only one that can. Luke 2, 11 to 12. We, we read that this morning. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. A child is born. A son is given. Verse 6 goes on to say, And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And that, that's sort of a weird term. We don't use terms like that before. But it referred to taking the robe of royalty, the robe of rulership, and placing it on somebody's shoulders, placing it on somebody's back. And so what Isaiah is saying is this child, he's going to be the king. He's going to rule. He is going to reign. What a comfort that is. And then, then we get to the familiar passage. And his name shall be called. It's been a lot of fun this week studying this passage because I, I, I've, I was telling the elders, I've quoted this passage, we've used this passage hundreds of times, but I don't know that I've ever really start, stopped to explore in depth why these names are given to Jesus. You know, it's, it's just like names that we say and rattle off, but these all have meaning and God has inspired them and given them to us 700 years before he was born, to us 2,700 years later to say, this is my son. If you remember, as we've studied names, a name sums up a person's reputation, right? 
sums up their character, who they are. And so these all represent something about who Jesus is. The first name we see is Wonderful Counselor. And that's probably one name. And as is our tradition at Christmas, I'd like some kids to come up and help me. Just some of the kids. I need three or four of you. You need to help me find the name of Jesus, okay? Little kids can come up. Yeah, absolutely. Come on up. Emma, you want to come up? Okay. How are you guys? Okay, so I have some names in here. Do you see them? Aren't they cool? Do you know in a, in a hospital when a baby's born, do you know what they put on the edge of his bassinet or hers? They put their names. So that way you know. You can look through and say, hey, that's my son. That's my daughter or my brother or my sister. So I have some name plaques here. Can, can you guys, I, I don't know whether, whether you guys can, can um, read all of these words. We'll see. Um, can you find Wonderful Counselor? It's pretty hard, huh? Good job. Give me five. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Wonderful, wonderful counselor. So we're going to put that there like, like we'd see at the edge of a bassinet because Jesus' name is wonderful counselor. Do either of you know what that means? No. That, that's Okay, let, let's take it word by word, okay? Wonder. Do you know what that means? Wow. <laughs> that's what wonder means. Yeah, <laughs> pretty crazy, huh? It means awesome or supernatural or godlike. It means it means just great things, something extraordinary. But for you guys, just remember, wow, okay? And counselor, I'm going to tell you what that means because that's another big word, huh? Counselor, it means someone that's able to tell you what you should do. Mom and dad are good counselors, huh? They're able to tell you what you should do, right? That's a counselor. But Jesus is the best counselor ever. He knows what, what is best for us. Does that make sense? He's the wow counselor. Can you guys say wow? Wow. Okay, we're excited. You guys can sit down. Give him a hand. Man, I love involving kids. And I love seeing kids of all ages learning. Wonderful counselor. And I, I hope you heard what I was sharing with the girls He is the magnificent, extraordinary, miraculous counselor. We we get the word wonder. It's the same word as we use in signs and wonders. And signs and wonders are these miracles that God would do and that Jesus would do. And so many of the, the commentators and scholars say this name simply means a wonder of a counselor. And I think about that. Think about Jesus as our wonderful counselor. We think of the Holy Spirit as that. We think of God as that. But there's something about his birth that reorients our thinking. There's something about his birth that changes our worldview. And that's what we need to think of when we think of this name. How do we need to think differently? Say, silly example, but let's say you're going out and husbands, let's say you're going out to buy a Christmas gift for your wife. And you're like, I am going to get her the best lawnmower ever. Oh boy. <laughs> and you're going out, and as you're going, you're listening to the radio, and, and someone on the radio is saying, you know what, last year, I found the perfect gift for my wife, the necklace that was just like what she wanted, and she appreciated that so much more than any tool I could have given her. And, and at that point, your light goes on, right? It should. Yes, your light goes on, and you're like, lawnmower, bad idea. Necklace or something she would actually like, good idea. At that point, in a silly way, your thinking has been radically changed. 
and or for the better, for, for your life's sake. And, and um, now, now, that's what I mean by a counselor that directs or redirects our thinking. But with Jesus, his birth, his coming changed every way that we think. Not just on one little area, it should affect every part of our lives. Because now we've moved from darkness to light. He has illuminated what truth is. He has illuminated how we should think, how we should approach this world. This world is no longer about me. This world is no longer about taking and getting everything I want. In relationships, I no longer evaluate them by whether the person is making me happy. I no longer evaluate work by how much money I make because my way of thinking is now changed. And it says, how can I honor Jesus Christ? How can I glorify Him? Because He gave up everything, self and and the glories of heaven, to come so I can be saved. So wonderful counselor refers to our thoughts. And as king, he comes to change our perspective on life. You see that every day. When, when, when you talk with your coworkers who don't know Jesus, the, the whole concept of salvation is foolishness. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 1. It's, it's foolishness to those that don't believe. How do you conquer the world as a baby? Why would you even come? A child? Really? A cross? Really? That's even worse. And Jesus, his person, challenges the wisdom of this age. It turns it upside down as folly. And so you see, when we're having discussions about morality and moral issues in our culture, if someone has a foundation of Jesus and who he is and the truth that he is, we can discuss and and we understand certain things about the sanctity of life and about marriage and some of the things that are hot buttons in our, our culture today. But when someone doesn't know Christ, their thinking has not been changed. The off-field counselor that's directing their thoughts and paths has not taken root in their heads and in their minds and in their hearts. And so evil seems right and right seems wrong. And we see that today. And while we firmly should stand against it, the answer is Jesus. The answer is a change of heart a change of, of, a softening of the heart because we are saved. And so when we think of wonderful counselor, it's someone who comes alongside to give off-field supernatural counsel and direction. In 1 John 2, 1 through 3, we read this about Jesus. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And that word advocate is paraclete that we saw with the Holy Spirit. Same word that we see here for counselor. Different language, but translated the same word. We have an advocate with our Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So what he's saying is Jesus, through his work, is advocating or counseling for us. He is changing our mind from one that is racked with sin to one that is righteous. A different way of thinking. John goes on in that passage. He is the propitiation for our sins, meaning he stood in our place, took God's wrath on himself, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Jesus, when he gave us the Holy Spirit, said, I will send you another counselor, another helper, because he's the first one. He's the wonderful counselor. 
as we think about this, uh, we, we fight against this a little bit because we want to do things our own way. We want our own plans. E- even when it comes to salvation, I was joking with somebody it, this week. I said, you know, if it was up to me, a baby probably would not be my choice. Probably not a cross either. I would have done it a whole different way. Praise God, he did it his way. Same is true in our lives. There's times that we fight against God's plan. And and he's not just the wonderful counselor at Christmas. He's the wonderful counselor that because he came and dwells us and is with us, guiding our thoughts and saying, my plans are better than yours. You may not understand my timing. You may not even see the results. You may be in a time of waiting, but my plans are better than yours. His way is best. His way is pure wisdom. The counselor encourages the discouraged, comforts the sorrowful, corrects the wayward, and instructs the learners. Jesus is king. We need to let him reorient our entire worldview. How we think about every issue, how we choose to spend every day, how does this reflect that Jesus is king, that he came? Next name that you see in that passage is Mighty God. I needed a couple more kids. A couple more kids. Don't be afraid. I'm not asking you to volunteer for something that's going to hurt you. Not like that time with the chair. (laughs) (laughs) Couple more kids coming up. Mark, come on down. And Mathia? Let's come over here. Hi, Mathia. Hi. Okay, so we have wonderful counselor, right? What did I say the next one was? Mighty God. Mathia, do you want to help Mark find mighty God? Which one do you think it is? Do you think it's this one? Mark, do you want to set that up there? Mighty God. This one's a little easier to understand. Do you know what mighty is, Mathia? Can you make some muscles? No, okay. <laughs> Mighty means strong, st- full of power. Okay, and, and this name says that Jesus, this baby that comes, it's a reminder that he is God. Do you know that Jesus is God? God come as a baby? Thanks, guys. You can sit down. See, this passage is talking about the deliverer who's going to set up a kingdom. The government will be on his shoulders. So it's talking about what, what king he is. And this one reminds us of his person and his power. It's describing the king. Jesus is God and no one stands against him. He is mighty God. In fact, this would have been really clear because mighty God is used throughout the Old Testament. It's one of the names we talked about, almighty God. It's used throughout the Old Testament of Yahweh, of God himself. And in fact, in, in Isaiah 10, 21, it says, A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God, to Yahweh. Psalm 51, the mighty one, God the Lord, God Yahweh, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its settings. And so to call Jesus mighty God is like having a huge sign that says he is God. This is not just a baby. He is God himself incarnate in human, in human flesh. And so whenever we see mighty God, we should think Jesus is actually God. He is fully human, but fully God, and he is able to save. This also stresses his power. 
that he's mighty in battle. He defeats his enemies easily. He came to defeat our sin, and he is able. When I think of mighty God, I think of Christmas's might wrapped up in strips of cloth in a major. What a picture. He voluntarily came as a needy infant that had to be fed, that had to be changed to be with us, and we're reminded that this helpless babe is mighty God. His resurrection would ultimately prove that. What this name reminds us and what this name confronts us with is that Christmas is more than just a cute little baby. It's more than just a nice, precious story. And in fact, you can't come away from Christmas thinking it's just about a little baby and it's just about a nice story. You can't because every part of Christmas screams, He is God. His name is Mighty God. And so this name demands we take a side. It demands that we we respond to whether or not this baby is who he says he is later in Scripture. Whether or not he is who he says he is, who God says he is in Isaiah. If he is God, then we have to admit that we need God and we need rescue from our sins and that he died on the cross in our place and he rose again on the third day. But if it's just a cute little story and Christmas is just about the lights and the presents, then we're left in darkness. He is God. Accept him as such. The third name in that passage is Everlasting Father. And this is one that we don't think of very often for Jesus. We think of God the Father, right? Everlasting Father. Can I get a couple more kids? They're all scared now. (laughs) A couple more kids. Naomi, you want to come up? Naomi and Eli, you guys want to come up? I'm not scary man today. (laughs) Or not. Come on up. Yeah. Come on up. What do you think this one says? Everlasting Father, that's right. Is that everlasting? Is this the right one? Okay. <laughs> what, what do you think of when you think of a father? Uh huh. Go to a different place, a new place. Big box of toys, yeah. <laughs> well, that's okay. Thank you for coming up. What do you guys think of when you think of father? Dad? You love your dad? King of the world? <laughs> you, you keep saying that and you'll go far. That's awesome. <laughs> Jesus is described as everlasting father. Do you know why? Because it refers to his relationship with us. You guys love your dad, right? That's what this name reminds us, that Jesus loves us. He loves us like a dad. Now, we know God the Father is, is our heavenly Father, but Jesus rules like a dad, like a father, with love and with mercy and with grace. You guys can sit down. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Everlasting Father. Now, this is different from God the Father. This is different from that role in the Trinity. This is something else, and it refers to Jesus as king, the nature of his rule. See, a king can rule in a couple different ways, right? A king can be a a tyrant, 
and just order people around and tax people until they have no money left and, and just be very controlling. That, a king can rule like that. Anyone want a king like that? Or a king could rule like a father who deeply loves his children, who do, does things for their good, who comes to their aid, who rescues them. When we say everlasting father, we're reminded that Jesus loves us dearly as dad loves us and is watching out for us. The Messiah is a fatherly ruler because the context is here is, is how he will rule. It's that fatherly love, that fatherly concern, and at times that fatherly discipline. But a dad who's ruling and standing for justice and rightness out of love and relationship. Love is included here. See, Jesus loves us endlessly, everlasting Father. He loves us endlessly and He proved it at the manger. He came to make us part of His family. You have a Savior who loves you endlessly. Think about that for a minute. Everlasting Father. And He gave His life, starting by coming as a baby, living a perfect life, hanging on that cross, crucified for nothing He did, taking our sin upon Himself so that you and I could be sons and daughters of the King. Everlasting Father. As we respond to that, we need to respond to that invitation to closeness. That invitation to be family. So we see the wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And the fourth title in this passage is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. We'll change names here. I'm going to go ahead and do this one. The Prince of Peace is the one who would administrate God's peace. The prince was a ruler, an administrator that would take something, that would take something and pass it on to the people. And so when we think of Prince of Peace, we are talking about the, the agent of God's peace to us. We would not have peace without Jesus. And the word here is shalom. And anyone that went on the living nativity, shalom, what does it mean? Hello and hi, but more than that, well-being, peace to you. It, it might be if, if I came up to you and say, I hope you're doing really well today. And I actually mean it. That would be shalom, okay? And so the God of peace is, is the, the prince of peace is the one that is reconciling into peace, into lack of conflict, into well-being with another individual. One author wrote, peace denotes more than just a lack of war. It encompasses well-being, safety, and plenty, along with good relationships with one's brother, neighbor, and God. Now, who hasn't longed for a peaceful life? And there, there's a lot of weeks that I'm like, man, I wish I had more peace this week. Sometimes that has to do with conflicts. Sometimes that just has to do with harmony in the home and, and hoping that, that God's peace rests on our home. But when we say Jesus is the Prince of Peace, we are talking about the ultimate peace. This is the setup, that people were living in darkness. We are separated from God. We are in conflict with God. Think about that. Our sin keeps us at a distance in rebellion and conflict with a holy, righteous God. There is enmity there. There is lack of relationship. It's the person that you've had a fight with, maybe your best friend or your spouse or a son or a daughter that you've had a fight with and you haven't talked for a week. 
that times infinity. Our sin keeps us from God. And there is nothing, nothing you and I can do to bridge that gap. Because we just keep sinning. Sometimes with my kids, I'm like, okay, you know, they have a fight or they, have, they speak words that are not so kind to each other. I'll say, okay, you need to apologize and, and you need to um, tell them you love them. And they're like, I love you, even though you're still doing such and such. Like, no, 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 you missed the point. Is there reconciliation there? No, for some reason, the other person doesn't want to accept the apology because they are still doing it. It's the same thing with us and God. We are still sinning. And when we try to come to God, we are still in sin. The only way to bridge it is if somebody else bridges it for us. Prince of Peace means Jesus came to reconcile us with God. He came to restore that relationship. This is the society, this is the the kingdom that the king wants to create. One of reconciliation, one of peace, one of relationship with God. And Jesus is the administrator of that. He makes it possible for us to have peace with God because he pays the price for our sin. And once that debt is paid, God sees us through Jesus' glasses. And he sees Jesus' righteousness. And he sees forgiveness. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. The incredible thing to me is Jesus came to reconcile us to God while we still hated God. While we are still in our sins, while we are still in rebellion, Jesus says, I love them. And he came and he reconciles us to God. Who does that? A savior. The prince of peace. Ephesians 2, 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He's the prince of peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 7 of Isaiah 9 there, your Bibles are open to, goes on and describes this. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then the last phrase is so important. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God has decided his passionate involvement with us is to make salvation possible. He will do this. He will establish his kingdom. He will turn darkness into light, conflict into shalom. But will we be people of peace and reconciliation? Will we let him take control of our lives? I think a good way to sort of figure out if if we understand Prince of Peace is when people know us, do they know us as, as people of conflict or people of peace? You know, sometimes there's people that you just know every conversation is going to go south at some point, right? Every conversation is going to end up being this battle of egos and who's going to one-up the other and it may turn into a fight. That's not, the, that's not children being children of the Prince of Peace. That's walking in darkness. Children of the Prince of Peace are people that j- just their words ooze peace. They, they, they calm situations. 
And yes, some personalities do that, but all of us should be that way because Jesus is the Prince of Peace flowing through us, coming out in everything we do. He's the Prince of Peace. We live for Him. The last name this morning is actually two chapters back, Isaiah seven fourteen, And we're ending with this as we move on to worship again. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, which means God with us. And as Isaiah 7, verse 14, two chapters earlier, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew 1, we see a reference to that same prophecy. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Referring back to what we just read. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Think about that phrase, God with us. I would argue this is the most profound and impactful name of Jesus at Christmas. That it's the name that summarizes the entire work of his birth to the cross to the resurrection is God with us. This is what separates the true and living God from so many false gods that people have made up in their minds and worship and systems of religion that view God as as this evil tyrant that's just waiting to, to whack those that disobey Him that maybe will let you into heaven if you do the right things or, or are good enough or or sacrifice enough. But God is a, the, the Father. He's Emmanuel, God with us. This is the most cherished and the most profound name of Jesus theologically, I think. It summarizes everything. Christmas, this Friday as we celebrate, is a tangible reminder that God is with us. When our sins made it impossible for us to be with God, God came to us. He rescues us. He took the initiative because we couldn't. He emptied himself He took a body like this to rescue and redeem and restore relationship. That is how extreme God's love is for us. Think about this for a minute. God has always wanted to be with his people. Go back to the Garden of Eden. He created Adam and Eve. What did he do with Adam and Eve? He came and walked with them. That is profound That is an amazing testament to the relationship that God wants with us. Genesis 3.8, when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Man walked away. God pursued, even at the beginning. Throughout the Old Testament, in Exodus 3, with Moses and God, Moses said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. In Joshua 1.5, Joshua is about to take the land. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. God is speaking into his life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Jump ahead to Samuel. Samuel grew. The Lord was with him. Go to David. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. King Hezekiah, a righteous king, and Yahweh was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. And Haggai, 
the message of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. It's all over Scripture. Emmanuel, God with us as a baby to save us. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt or tented among us. Matthew 28.20, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we've studied how the story ends in Revelation, right? The new heaven and new earth comes down and we are dwelling in the presence of God. I will be their God and they will be my people. Jesus came to earth to dwell with us, to show us God's presence, to come near, to be part of our lives. Tim Keller wrote in The Gift of Christmas, the unassailable, omnipotent God became a baby, giving us the ultimate example of letting our defenses down. Martin Luther wrote, Christmas is God deep in the flesh. He didn't just stop for dinner. He lived with us, communed with us, was in relationship with us. Think about that. As he pursued his people, he tried walking with them in the Garden of Eden. He tried the pillar of cloud and fire. He tried the judges. He tried the kings. He tried the prophets. And people kept rejecting. And now at Christmas, in that manger, he sends his son, God with us. I invite you today to consider why Jesus came. He came to be with us to be the Prince of Peace, to restore relationship with God. And some of you today have never repented of sins, have never put your trust in Jesus Christ. And that's Isaiah 9-2, those that are walking in darkness. He hasn't changed your mind, your, your mindset, your worldview. He hasn't brought salvation. He's not king of your hearts. And you know it, you feel it. Life is missing something. It's missing the King of Kings. And I implore you, if you don't know Christ, this Christmas, be confronted with his names and let him be the savior of your life, the king of kings, the prince of peace. Many of you know Christ. And I pray that today is about seeing these names in a whole new way, about coming away with this awe and reverence that Christ is come. Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, Emmanuel. And that it changes how we view Christmas. We say that every year and we fight it every year, don't we? How will I remember to worship God? What we'd like to do today is one of our traditions is to have each um, family unit have an ornament just to remind themselves of what we've been talking about. And on the tree, there are a whole number of nativity ornaments to remind us that Christ has come, to remind us of his birth names, to remind us that he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, Emmanuel. So we'd like to just spend some moments of reflection and bow our heads and I'd like you to think before you come up and get your ornament, think about a couple questions. Spend some time with God. Respond to, to his word in some quiet moments with him. And then come up just as you will. Come up, grab your ornament, sit back down. We're going to sing a song about God, Christ as King. 
And then we'll continue to worship. But the questions that I ask you to think about, three of them. How is your daily life different because God is with us? How is daily life different because God is with us? Secondly, how are other people's lives different because God is with you? If he hasn't made a difference in your life, then he hasn't become wonderful counselor to you. He hasn't changed how you are. And finally, what are you going to do to remember the name of Jesus in all of its glory this week? Let's just worship together. Think about those things. Start coming up. Take an ornament off the tree. One per family unit. Take it home with you. Remember who Jesus is. Let me just close in prayer. Lord God, I thank you for church family. Because you are our everlasting Father, you made it possible for us to have a huge family. And Lord, I love this church and I love this church family because of that, because I see so many evidences of people walking with you and serving each other and serving you. Lord, now as we go to eat together, fellowship together, Lord, we ask your blessing on the food. We thank you for your provision, acknowledging that all good things come from you. And Lord, so we praise you, acknowledge our dependence on you, our thankfulness to you. Thank you for the birth of your son. In Jesus' name, amen.